everybody. My name's David. It's been a while. And I got my summer due going on. Some of you are like, well, did we get a new pastor? What happened? Uh, so, hey, we, if you're brand new, uh, uh, so I took a vacation and, and uh, it was incredible. I, I still get to tune in and, and listen as a church as we get to go through uh, a series that's been really impactful uh, about the seven deadly sins. And, and so uh, the way this worked out is uh, the different people who've been preaching, you know, choose their, with, with, uh, of the seven, they, they choose. Because I'm a nice guy. And my niceness didn't land well. So, like, so the remaining two starts with gluttony. I just went on vacation. <laughs> You're, you don't seem to be connecting to this. Okay, when you go on vacation, do you typically say, and this is, this is the moment on vacation that I'm going to eat like I should, right? Most of us don't do that. It's the opposite. So I am not happy about this at all. But uh, it's going to be very personal, just so you know. Uh, to help you understand, if you don't know me, uh, I will tell you, and I, I've, I've confessed this, this is not the first time, of, of the different battles that I've had in my life with sin, because we all have them, gluttony has actually been one of the most frequent battles in my life. And I'm going to talk about that. But if you want to know, um, if I'm preaching at you, I am most certainly not. Um, but I thought about it. I wonder if we know why we're talking about this. You might be, maybe you grew up in church or, or had, a, had a time where you went to church and you're like, okay, and then it kind of felt like church was all about sin and making you and I feel, well, guilty. Like that, that was being a Christian was what do you feel about what do you feel guilty about right now? That's not the intentions for this series. We've talked about things like envy and slothfulness and pride and lust and, and all that kind of stuff, right? We've gone after that stuff. You're like, why? Here, what's keeping me from letting God be first? That's what this series is about. It's not about you and I going, well, that's another thing I'm not doing well. Oh, and where you and I just feel bad enough that maybe we feel like we might be close to God finally because there's enough guilt and shame there. That's not the heart at all. If, if I had something coming up this week, you're like, hey, David, you shouldn't drive there. Maybe it's Sturgis. You're like, just don't go that route or whatever. You would probably tell me. If, if there was something I shouldn't eat, you would say, hey, David, yeah. Don't eat. You would give me a warning. You would say, hey, so I've got this experience. I, I got into that, and you should probably watch out for that. That's what we're talking about. In fact, for, for centuries now, Christians have been warning other Christians, like, hey, you should watch out for that, and they get that from the Bible. So we're going to talk about gluttony. For a second, think about the sermons you've heard on gluttony. I'm a pastor's kid, and I can't think of any. So... Just so we know where we're at, let's talk about gluttony in specifics, terminology, all that kind of stuff. Uh, the word is, for, as you and I understand it, derived from the Latin word. I, I actually had to take Latin in elementary school. Don't worry, I've overcome that trauma. Uh, uh, it, it's derived from the word to gulp down. So I don't know what you're thinking about gluttony. Maybe right now you're picturing just being at a buffet. Maybe me bringing up a buffet makes you just hungry. But, but, but I want you to think it's, it's, it's deeper than that. And I think... And think 
more applicable than that. It's the gulp down. It's when you don't care about the taste kind of a thing. You're just trying to fill up, to gulp down. Uh, excessive, this is a, uh, a definition used throughout time, excessive indulgence in food and drink, which is what most of us think. However, or whatever else satisfies. I think that's important to bring up because some of you are like, you've mastered the art of eating healthy. Good, good job. <laughs> no, really, good job. That's, 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 that's actually, I would tell you, that's a godly thing to do, that, that you, you pay attention. But so, so soon, like, oh, man, can't wait to share this message with some of my friends. No, no, be, be careful, because gluttony, as you and I, and we're going we're gonna to use the analogy, the, the connection of food and drink, but gluttony, by definition, spreads out further than that. Excessive indulgence. Maybe you have an excessive indulgence with your use of social media or your phone or your people pleasing. So I'm just, I'm trying to highlight, yes, we're going to talk about this, but uh, no, no balance at all is usually as used as a descriptor, uh, descriptor. No discipline, no mastery, no longer eating just to live living to eat. Now let me say something, and, and, and this isn't in my notes, but I have felt literally the Holy Spirit saying, would you please bring this up? And so I'm going to bring it up, okay? And I don't know who this is for. There might be a lie going out right now that if we're going to talk about gluttony, we might be talking about obesity, and you might right now be cowering down in your seat or whatever you're doing, going, do they see? And I want you to know gluttony has nothing to do with what your body looks like. Some of my skinniest friends can eat whatever they want, and I want to punch them in the face for it. <laughs> I really, and I know this, I really feel led. I know that sounds weird to some of you brand new. I feel led by the Holy Spirit to bring up this. There's no intentions behind this to like body shame any individual because I think we're all intelligent enough now to understand that food and drink affects people differently. So we have to be willing to have a better conversation and say, but how is it affecting me? What I'm excessively indulging in. We have to start with just acknowledging food's not evil. So you may have grown up in an environment where like, hey, so here's the sin. You might eat too much food or, or maybe, maybe you might be in danger of drinking too much alcohol. So the, uh, the approach to it is, so don't do any of it. You're like, well, how do I not eat, right? You, you have to eat to survive. So I just want to bring up very simple. Food is not evil. Alcohol is not evil. In fact, if you study the Bible, you'll learn there's quite a connection between food and God. If they're actually very, very relevant to each other, let's uh, pick, let's start at the beginning. Let's go to Genesis, where we learned about Adam and Eve and how, how they're tempted in the garden uh, to, to do what? To eat fruit. Like, do you ever wonder, like, why couldn't it have been, like, some other rule, like, where God's like, hey, here's the garden, it's paradise. Uh, one rule, don't, don't kick the cats. Just don't kick the cats. <laughs> and, and, and we're good. We're, we're fine. Do you just, I want you, I want your mind going there. Do you, do you just find it interesting a bit that God's like, he makes paradise, paradise. 
And he doesn't say, don't go swimming in that pond. Don't go. No, he says, that one fruit, don't eat it. Don't eat it. You immediately, right at the beginning, we begin to see a connection between what we eat and, and God. They seem to be relevant to each other. If you keep reading in your Bible, you're going to learn about a couple guys, Jacob and Esau. And you're going to learn about uh, how uh, one of them was the firstborn. And way back then, if you were firstborn, I mean, you got the hookup. If you were the firstborn boy, it just was unfair. Uh, you got it all. It was just handed all over to you. Well, one of them found himself so hungry that he takes his birthright, slides it over, and gives it up for a bowl of soup. I mean, I at least would have had a steak. I mean, I just, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been soup. But sometimes if you grew up in church, you've heard that story, and you're like, yeah, big whoop. Find it fascinating. God and food. Other places when you read about the Israelites being freed out of slavery, uh, what we'll learn is uh, how they were fed by God. Who cares about that detail? You and I, frankly, I don't care what you ate yesterday. You probably don't care what I ate yesterday, but in the Bible, we get the details about the food these people are eating. If you look at God freeing these people from slavery, he's like, hey, for centuries, you've had other people telling you what to do and how to do it. Um, you're going to go crazy. I'm using different terms, but this is basically what he's saying. So God established the law. He gave them the law. He said, all right, here's the law. And yeah, he gave them some Ten Commandments that were you know, basic, like, hey, don't kill each other. I mean, okay, and, and some stuff like that. But if you look at the law, you even learn that he even put in the law, hey, don't eat that. But you can eat that. God and food, he seems to care about it. Go to Jesus. As you and I learn about Jesus walking this earth, I mean, we don't have a whole bunch on Jesus. I mean, like, we know where he was born and some of the details there, but then, then we learn a lot more around the age of 30. And like, what does he start doing for about three and a half years, isolating in, over and over, it's about who he's eating with and what he's saying while they're eating. Goes to a guy hanging out in a tree. And he doesn't say, one, why in the world are you hanging up in a tree? Uh, he says, let's go eat. Jesus made regular invitations to let's eat together. And I know that you know at least the painting of the Last Supper. When Jesus literally sets the stage for what's about to begin to play out, he chooses not the walk, not the stroll, not just before nap time. He says, as we've had a meal now, guess what's going to play out? It was, food was confusing because there were laws and all this kind of thing. So, so the Jewish people, when they would decide to follow Jesus as the Lord and Savior, well, some others who weren't Jewish people were like, we actually believe in Jesus too. What do we do? And they're like, hold on, let's talk about it for a second. And then we get things like Acts chapter 15, where the Jewish Christians are thinking about, what, what do we tell to the Gentiles, the ones who aren't Jews? Uh, instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols. Interesting, they're talking about food. From sexual immorality. Then back to, from eating the meat of strangled animals and from consuming blood. Just in this little section here, they seem to be emphasizing, listen, food and what they're eating over sexuality. Doesn't mean that sexuality doesn't matter, but look at their emphasis. I find this fascinating that God 
would care about all the wonderful things in your life, but even specifically food and drink and how you and I might be overindulging. So, what I could do, but I'm not going to do it. You can Google this later if you want. Google uh, gluttony Bible verses. And you'll find quite a few that will tell you that the Bible states very specifically, don't dot, 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 and don't be a glutton or you will not inherit the kingdom of God. They're rather intense verses, but they're littered in a bunch of different stuff. I'm thinking, what's the heart? What does, what does the Bible teach is the heart of what we're talking about? 1 Corinthians 10, 31, instrumental in my life. So whether you eat or drink, catch it doesn't say eating and drinking is bad, doesn't say that. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all, do it all for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. So what this is saying is, what do I do with food and drink? I either choose God's desires or I choose mine. It's really that basic. And I know some of you are like, why are you saying this like after a Friday or a Saturday or a weekend? Why? Now listen, uh, God's desires, God cares about what you and I are consuming and how we're consuming it. And you care too. And it's, it's easy to choose what you want. I told you uh, at the beginning, this is, this is personal to me, um, very personal. I grew up and uh, I, I have liked food for quite some time. I was never the person going, you know what sounds good, a salad. That just, oh, does anyone have a cup of yogurt? I want some of that. No. I'm like, where's the pizza? Where's the burgers? Where's the fried whatever? I don't care what you fried. Let's eat it. I grew up that way. I grew up celebrating. If you, if you were going to celebrate and there was no food, you're doing it wrong. That's what I grew up around. In fact, Thanksgiving was regular where I got the biggest plate at the table of about 20 family members. Like, you're a growing boy. I know I am. Pile it on. Right? I... <laughs> I grew up where that's how you celebrated. Christmas was not about, well, it was about Jesus, but, uh, it, and, and, and presents were cool, but it was like, what are we eating? Any, does anyone resonate with this? Birthdays. Birthdays were a lot like, hey, what do you want? And what do you get to pick for dinner? None of these are bad things, by the way. But I grew up, and I got hurt. You probably got hurt, too. I remember the first time I got broken up with it was the first time there would be many that would follow. <laughs> and you know where my mind went when I got dumped? It's like, I need a pop. It might sound weird to you, but that was in my head. I need a pop. So uh, I asked for it, and I got a two-liter bottle of pop. And then the next time, and then the next time, uh, a good day. Hey, let's go, let's go have a great time. And we would just go eat like crazy. My senior year, uh, well, I was rather independent, so for lunch, we got to go out on our, like, by ourselves. It was great. We'd go get a pizza for each of us. And, um, and I found a whole lot of satisfaction eating that pizza when I was sad. And I began a behavior that carried itself all the way into becoming your pastor. Where if I uh, got an email that week that wasn't like, I love this church. It was the opposite. 
Chinese food sounded good. And I learned to, well, here, uh, Peter DeVries has a quote that, that this was me, gluttony is an emotional escape, a sign something is eating us. And that was my life. Again, I've preached a sermon on this. If you want to go back, you can go back to last summer, and I talked about portions and things like that. And uh, i got to tell you, if right now you've got something eating at you, there's some danger there. Because I wonder how you're responding to that. I wonder what you're doing that could be keeping God from being first in your life. Reminds me of gluttony, all the definition stuff that I, I brought you to at the beginning. Uh, don't forget this part. No longer eating just to live, living to eat. And here's the lesson. I'm not suggesting, don't worry, I'm not staring at anyone at all. Here's the lesson that your pastor has had to learn. When eating and drinking is out of control, it's a sign you haven't given God full control. Does it mean that you're not a Christian anymore? No, I don't think so. But does it mean that there might be an environment of your life that you've not allowed God to control, that you've not, you've not said, you, like, God, no, 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 I'm going to work on this myself. And i got to tell you, uh, I am still tempted. I just got back from vacation. I promise you, every time I didn't have time to stop by Krispy Kreme Donuts, the light was on for some reason. If you don't know this, maybe you're, I know we don't have a Krispy Kreme if you, if you, idea, business people. Uh, the, <clears throat> uh, when the light is on, they have this special light. When it's on, it's, it like, it's like a, well, it's, it's like what we use to kill flies and insects. It's like it attracts people like us all the way. Let's go. It means the donuts are fresh. Come get them. They're hot right off of the rollers. And I've gone and watched it. Uh, I got to tell you something. I have victory, but it doesn't mean I always live in that victory. And I think you and I, if, if, if you want to live as long as God wants you to live, if you want to do all that God wants you to do, you and I have to be willing to take 1 Corinthians 10.31 and say, how does that plug into my life? Because I gotta, I, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Gluttony seems hyper-specific, but I think it is hyper-relevant. So here's what I've learned. How I indulge is an act of obedience. It just is. I know, I, know, I know culture will tell you differently that, hey, you have that craving, you have that desire, that's what you want, then you do you. But I would tell you, according to God, like, no, there's dangers there. How you and I indulge, what you and I choose to do, how we indulge cravings, how we satisfy those cravings, has everything to do with obedience or, or disobedience. It wasn't long in college that I learned, I was introduced to alcohol and how if you drank enough, you could just kind of forget about your stresses or your problems. And so I got into that too and learned that it would create more issues in my life. I wonder if you're there right now, going, I've given a lot of my life, but I haven't thought lately about the food and the drink and the overindulgence. I think a lot of us are doing this. 90% Christian, 10% hedonist. Now, you may have been like me, where maybe you missed it when the professor or the teacher was talking about hedonism. Hedonism is where life is all about pleasure. 
the pursuit of pleasure, meaning that if you're, if you're a hedonist, that you think the best way to live life is what brings you pleasure, go after that, make that primary. That's why I would say a lot of us are trying to be 90% Christian, like all about Jesus, let's do this, but then Friday night or Saturday happens or something, and, 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 and our friends are, or, or something happened during the week at work, and so we, we go into the pleasure category. We say, I'm giving Jesus all of this, but this came up. I need to pause Jesus for a moment while I indulge my pleasures. Now, some of you are theologians, and you're like, you can't be 90% Christian, 10% hedonist. I know, I'm saying this is our attempt right now. It reminds me, growing up uh, in our house, elementary years was in Kansas, we had a staircase that went down to the basement, because if you're in Kansas, you better have a basement because of the tornadoes. And so you go down in our basement and, uh, and turn around, and you could go underneath the staircase, and there was what now I look at and go, that's a good horror movie waiting to happen. <laughs> uh, but this, in, in our house in Kansas, was unused space. And so as kids, you know, we made out of it a clubhouse. Like, this was now our domain. And we thought pretty highly of the area underneath the staircase. And so as, as, as elementary boys, we were like, rule number one, no girls allowed. They're weird. And they tell us when we're being immature. They're not allowed. And that was like, it was, it was easy. Like, we didn't have to say you know what, we're not on the same page about this. We as fellas were just like, yes, no girls. But then there would also be days where we would be mad at each other, and so we would start to ban each other from the clubhouse. I usually won. It was my house. So <laughs> isn't that what clubhouses as kids typically look like? It, and you might have had some cool stuff there or stuff you're not supposed to have, whatever, but I'm saying most of our clubhouses as kids, our environments, our gangs, whoever we ran with as like first graders, mostly were about who gets in and who's not allowed in. I bring it up because I think a lot of us right now are trying to love God by saying you can get into this part, but you're not allowed here, wherever you're here is. It's the part of your life that you find it extremely difficult to manage. Here's the question. I, is there an area in your life God doesn't get access? And I know it well enough now as a, well, as a dad and as a pastor, I can't just ask you that question and say, is there an area? No, I'm pretty sure I'm good. I'm good. Okay, he gets a little bit of it all. Okay, so let's use words to describe. It's the areas of your life you say, I can't stop. Like, could you stop? Could you not do social media for a week? Some of you are like, I'm out of this church. This is stupid. I... <laughs> could, you not, that's the, could you not drink for a week? Could you only eat what you put on your plate the first time, good serving, for a week, could you do that? You see where I'm getting at? This is where we're like, I'm not, I'm not sure if I could actually do that for more than 
one meal. For breakfast, you're like, I could do this for breakfast. Can I just do this one time and just kind of experiment? No, for a week. Can't stop. It's where our secrets are. I wonder if you have secrets. To be very open-handed with you, I, I had secrets. How I ate, especially when I would overeat, I kept a secret. You didn't know about it. Sometimes I'd buy two sandwiches instead of one, knowing one would be just fine. And I would eat one of the sandwiches before I would go inside or on the drive back. You know what? I was keeping a secret. If you're drinking too much, you're probably trying to keep it a secret. If you're overindulging in anything right now, you're probably, your brain, definitely the devil's tempting you. Keep it a secret. Don't tell anybody. It'll make everything fall apart. You'll ruin everything. They will leave you. You will lose that. You will be fired. Everything will break down. You won't be a part of your church anymore. No, let, let, the, let the reverend guy who somehow is leading a church tell you this is an environment where we can't keep secrets like that because that's the devil's playground. The areas of life that are out of control or in a lot of recovery groups, you would use the word maybe unmanageable. Life has become unmanageable. This is why we gotta talk about gluttony. It's not about making you and I feel bad, but that's not the kind of life we're called to. Do you, do you know that Jesus was tempted with a whole food thing? He, he found himself being literally tempted. It's recorded in the Bible. Let me show you Matthew chapter four. Uh, during that time, the devil came and said to him, uh, if you are the son of God, what a jerky thing to say. Uh, if you are the son of God, uh, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Loaves of stone. Why didn't he say, turn these stones into diamonds? Well, if you know this context, you know that Jesus is actually, we don't know the exact timing, but he's in the midst of fasting for 40 days. If I fast, let's say between breakfast and lunch, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, <laughs> but I've learned to do it. You've got Jesus who hasn't eaten. Some say it's been a full 40 days. Some say it's been a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month. We aren't exactly sure. We just know it's been a long time, and we know it's been long enough that Jesus is super hungry. That's why it's called a temptation. A temptation is only tempting if it's tempting. And the devil says, you see those stones? You can make those bread loaves right now. And I think if Jesus made bread, it'd be the best. And look at Jesus' response. No! I really get in the sermon now. Like, what's the application to this? No! That's it. Just say no. And turn around. But Jesus gives us more. No, the scriptures say, fascinating to me, there's somewhat of a trend, it's a weak trend, but there's a trend that says the Bible is no longer relevant anymore. Or, or you know, you wouldn't use the Bible. Jesus uses the Bible. Just that piece right there should tell you and I. If Jesus is quoting the Bible to fight against temptation, you and I ought to still use the Bible. The Bible is as relevant as ever, it's powerful, it's authoritative, and Jesus gives us the example. What do we do with the Bible? Do we change it, twist it, or manipulate it? No, we use it. And he says, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's saying, I want food bad, but I depend on God. 
We live under the dependence of God, but many of us have forgotten this, and we've begun to depend on whether it's alcohol, overeating, satisfying any kind of craving, people-pleasing, getting the affirmation of others is like a drug, is it not? And we live off it, we crave off of the next compliment or the next affirmation. Some of us quit our jobs because we aren't affirmed enough. That should tell you a little bit going, maybe it's become a drug to me. Maybe I'm overindulging in encouragement. Whew. So, what does the Bible teach us? What do we do with gluttony and overindulgence? Where there's a battle going on, it's between gluttony versus temperance. Temperance is the ancient word used. For centuries, churches, Christians, Followers of Jesus Christ have used the word temperance to help say this is the virtue. This is what we, we press against, the desires and the cravings and the indulgences. Uh, here's what temperance means, because most of us are like, I have not used that word lately. Uh, temperance, habitual, habitual, not like, not one time, habitual, you got that, habitual, moderation, That's why I'm never going to tell you drinking alcohol is a sin. Jesus made alcohol. I can't with integrity tell you that it's a sin. Habitual moderation of appetites and passions. Temperance. You know some examples of temperance? Fasting and Sabbath. Concepts of not doing something. (laughs) Uh, Later on this year, I'll talk to you more about fasting, but it's when you can eat and you want to eat, but you don't eat so that you do something different during that time. Sabbath is I could work, I could make some more money, I really want to, but I'm not going to, I'm going to stop. Temperance, it's taught all throughout scripture. If you refuse this word from God, this is your warning. If you don't think this matters, I'll bring up a story, a parable that Jesus taught where he says this farmer is spreading seed on soil and he talks about how some of the seed falls on some good soil, falls on some hard soil and some rocky soil. But he also said in Matthew 13, uh, other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. In the areas that you're overindulging, yet you're trying to have a family at the same place, your family's gonna get choked out. In the areas that you're trying to be a great employee, but you're overindulging, it's, it's likely that you're gonna get choked out there. Marriages get choked out all the time because someone or both of them are overindulging. I think this is a great example from Jesus himself saying, don't plant down and do things around what you're trying to grow, what you want God to grow, all the while sabotaging yourself. Don't sabotage yourself. Now, this seems like good logical support, right? Bible says, get gluttony out of your life because, well, it's bad for your heart. <laughs> it's not good for your, your organs. You don't want, I mean, nowadays we know this well enough that if how we eat and how we consume things, if you drink too much alcohol, that kind of stuff, it does bad things. So it seems logical that God would say, don't do a lot of that because I want your bodies healthy. I'm not convinced that's the reason God said to pay attention. Look at Genesis chapter 2. 
The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're going to die. They ate the fruit, right? And they physically did not die. Hmm. Do you notice what God doesn't say there? He doesn't say, hey, don't eat the fruit. It's really... It's really high in sugar, and I just don't think it's going to be good for you guys. So it's this one tree. I know I made it, but it's like super juicy and extra sweet. So that's why you can't eat from this tree. He doesn't warn them against overeating and all this. What he says is don't eat from that. Some of you are like, Aunt, no, no, don't. And in your mind and mind, but Why? But why? We have a three-year-old in our home. Everything comes with a why. It's wonderful. <laughs> when it rained, Daddy, why is it raining? Well, it, it just is. It's God, God's making it happen. But why, why, why? And in our logical thinking right now, you might think that God owes you an answer to every why question you ever ask him. What about a different approach? What if God says, hey, don't do that? And you and I just said, okay. Instead of saying, but I want to. <laughs> I crave to. I, it, I want, what if you and I, the followers of Jesus Christ, wrestled with this, where it's like, he says, don't do this, and didn't always offer, and here's all of the logical reasons why. He said, just don't do it. This is why following the ways of Jesus is not always easy, because sometimes you and I do it just simply as an act of submission. Here, Christianity isn't about self-help at all. It's about submission. And so, yes, yes, if you live a life Without gluttony, yes, your body will likely thank you for that. But the lesson is bigger than that. The lesson is God says that you and I should not overindulge in everything that seems to satisfy us. That you and I shouldn't overindulge, overindulge, overindulge. So you and I should say, okay, Father, okay. Philippians tells us something if we don't. Uh, their end is destruction. It's what I don't want for you. I don't want it for me. I don't want it for my kids. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. What a frustrating topic to talk about near the end of summer. But what a freeing subject to talk about before we do any more damage. I pray this for you, that you and God would take on the battle of gluttony in your life and let him free you. Let me pray for you, Heavenly Father. Um, God, you have a tendency to look at the splinters in our life and pull them out. And sometimes, God, it hurts. <laughs> Lord, I pray right now for every single one of us 
who finds an area in life under the stairs that you haven't been given access to. God, on behalf of our church, um, we would like you to go there this week. Go to the basement of our lives and go into that staircase, open up the door. And God, would you do a work in our very souls wherever we are overindulging. We ask for truth and for grace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.